There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Welcome to the Health Essentials Podcast, brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. I'm your host, Deanna Pogorels. And joining me today is Dr. Clayton Petro. He's a general surgeon here at Cleveland Clinic and is here to shed some light on an ailment that about 5 million Americans deal with every year. We're talking about hernias, how to know when you have one, what to do about it, and how the field of hernia repair is advancing. Welcome, Dr. Petro. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored, and uh, hopefully I can uh, help answer some of your questions. And to our listeners and viewers, please remember that this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So can we start at the beginning? Let's talk about what actually is a hernia. Sure. So in the simplest terms, a hernia is a hole in the muscle. Uh, and so uh, commonly, folks will get a hernia in some part of their abdominal wall uh, that has an inherent weakness to it. So for instance, the groin, people will often get uh, hernias in the groin. Um, so for men, uh, their spermatic cord travels through the muscle. And so that's an area of weakness. Uh, and so you, you can get either an inguinal or a femoral, femoral hernia uh, in the groin. Uh, oftentimes people can also get hernias near their belly button. So an umbilical hernia. Uh, the last place uh, that is common is between the breastbone uh, and the belly button, right in the middle of the abdomen. That's another place that, that you can commonly get a, uh, a hernia. Uh, if that, those are for folks that have never had surgery before. So uh, another type of hernia would be for anyone who's had surgery or any type of incision in their abdominal wall. That also would be an area of weakness and you can get an, a, hernia, a hernia there. That would be called an incisional hernia. Uh, so those are hernias within the abdominal wall. What can often be a point of confusion uh, are the things that are called hiatal or parasophageal hernias. So those hernias are indeed a hernia, but the hole in the muscle is not uh, on the outside. So you can't feel the bump. You can't feel the bulge. The hernia is actually from the ab abdominal contents up into the chest. And so the hole is actually in the breathing muscle, the diaphragm that separates the chest from the abdomen. And so uh, it is a hernia, but it's different than the other ones because you, can't, you won't be able to feel it from the outside. So how do people get hernias? Are certain people more at risk or how do they happen? Yes, that's a common question. So uh, adults and children are a little bit different. So, so children uh, can get hernias, they can be born with them. Uh, and, and oftentimes like particularly umbilical hernias, they will close on their own. Adults, uh, it's a little different. Uh, so if you have an adult, uh, if you're an adult and you have a hernia, it's usually over years of wear and tear. So um, for instance, folks that have a chronic cough or chronically lifting heavy things or have a uh, you know, very labor intensive job, over years of wear and tear, those areas of weakness, whether it was from you know, the groin or the belly button like we talked about or from a previous incision, those uh, areas of weakness will gradually allow the muscle to start to stretch apart and you can develop a hernia there. Oftentimes what will happen is uh, folks will tend to lift something heavy, for instance, and they'll feel a pop. Uh, and that is really, it's not so much that 
um, that single instant is where the hernia happened. It's just the first time that maybe it became symptomatic uh, and where the patient actually felt something bulge out. But, re but when in reality, what was happening was it was probably more likely years and years of wear and tear. So that's true for a cough too. So if someone coughs and, and feels pain, it's, it's not necessarily that, that it just happened, but it's those years of uh, wear and tear that have accumulated. Correct. And it's the combination, uh, you know, as far as how do you know if you have a hernia, it's usually um, something that you can feel. So the, uh, the patients that I'm most confident are, if you can feel a bulge, uh, or commonly patients will describe being able to push something back in. Those are patients that pretty obviously have a hernia. Now, sometimes it's not obvious and you need to get imaging such as a CAT scan uh, to really sort out if it actually is a hernia. Uh, but usually the combination, if you have pain in one area and you feel a bulge, uh, that would make you concerned that maybe you do have a hernia. Can you shed any light on what the pain feels like? Is it like a sharp pain or a dull pain or is it different for every person? It, it can be different. Uh, oftentimes, uh, it can be a dull, crampy pain. Uh, so you kind of feel like something is um, uh, stuck uh, or being um, kind of maybe choked a little bit. And oftentimes, particularly for patients who have uh, hernias in their groin, they'll get relief once everything is kind of pushed back in. Uh, some patients, you can't push it all the way back in. And so they may not experience that relief. But it's usually kind of a dull, achy, crampy pain. Now, uh, one of the things that folks worry about is having a loop of intestine stuck inside, and that is possible. And those patients can develop a bowel obstruction. If that happens, those patients are usually nauseated and, and, and vomiting, and that can be an emergency. That scenario is, is less common, but it does happen. And is there anything specific that we can do to prevent them? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that. Um, I would like folks not to blame themselves if they, if they get a hernia. So I, I think uh, it is just something that, that can happen, like I said, through years of, of wear and tear. Um, I think that um, if there was gonna be one area where maybe you can make a difference, it's if you do have abdominal surgery, then right after the abdominal surgery, you wanna be careful about lifting things heavy that are heavy because you don't wanna uh, kind of propagate an area of weakness and you wanna give that incision uh, time to heal. What is the kind of proper or appropriate pathway of care for, you know, if you do start feeling pain and feel that bulge, um, you know, is that a urgent care? Is that a primary care? Is that a go to a specialist? What's the right way to navigate that? Sure. So I think that um, certainly we went over the kind of worrisome scenario, the patient that may have a bowel obstruction, and those are patients that should seek care uh, more immediately. There are other folks who maybe they know they've had a hernia. Uh, and it started to, to hurt them, uh, or they, they think they have a hernia and they're not sure, you can certainly run that by your primary care provider. Uh, or, you, you know, if you call the Cleveland Clinic line uh, and ask for an appointment with any general surgeon, I'm sure they'd be happy to see you, or we would see you in our clinic. Like I said, some folks, uh, it's pretty straightforward. They have a hernia. It's limiting their quality of life, and they want it fixed. Um, other folks, like I said, it's not uncommon for us to see folks. And uh, tell them they have a hernia and uh, either counsel them toward repair uh, or we can you know, see you every three to six months and just keep tabs on it. Uh, and when it starts to bother you, we'll fix it at that time. Okay, now I wanna ask, I'm sure if someone finds out they have a hernia, one of the first things they're gonna wonder is, is it gonna get better on its own or does it need some kind of treatment? Sure. 
Well, once again, you know, I, we kind of treat these uh, case by case. Um, so I think for the vast majority of cases, like with the, with the rare exception being, I would think with children with umbilical hernias, um, hernias do not get better on their own. That being said, every hernia does not need to be fixed. There are many uh, scenarios, particularly patients um, who have groin hernias, if they're completely asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic, uh, it's really hard to make someone like that better with an operation. So we'll often tell them watchful waiting, waiting is safe and you can come back when it starts to bother you. <clears throat> also, you know, some of the imaging that we talked about, like getting a CT scan or a, um, an ultrasound or something like that, can let us know what's inside the hernia. So oftentimes it might be a small amount of fatty tissue and the patient's really not having symptoms. Then once again, it, it, we can tell them that it's safe to watch and wait and come back when it starts to become symptomatic. So if someone does feel pain and symptoms and thinks they might have a hernia, what are some of the signs that it's an emergency and they should get medical attention immediately? Sure, that's important. So <clears throat> certainly if, um, if there's any concerning signs of a bowel obstruction. So like I said before, one of the things that you worry about is that a loop of intestine is going to get stuck inside and cause a bowel obstruction. <clears throat> and if that happens, you'll be nauseated, you'll be throwing up, you won't be passing gas. Uh, and possibly haven't had a bowel movement in the last several days. Uh, any of those types of signs would be something that would be, I would consider an emergency and you should uh, seek help emergently. Um, a very concerning sign in addition to that would be if you have skin redness above where the hernia is. Uh, and that would make me uh, even further concerned that whatever uh, inside the hernia uh, has lost its blood supply. And that again would be a surgical emergency. Uh, now I've seen some like hernia belts or tresses that people can buy to help them with the pain. Do those actually work or are they helpful at all? Yeah, so I, I think my take on abdominal binders and trusses, if, pay, if they provide patients uh, any relief, uh, I think that, that they should use them and continue uh, to wear them. Um, I don't think there's any evidence that I'm aware of that, that they'll have any negative side effects. So there's, they're not going to do any harm. Uh, I, I feel pretty confident about that. And if they provide the patient's relief, then I would absolutely wear them. Um, I don't have any uh, financial relationship with this company, but there is a company called Marina, M-A-R-E-N-A. Uh, and if you Google there, they have a, um, a binder uh, website uh, and they have all different shapes uh, and different types of support um, for people with abdominal hernias, groin hernias, ones that come up over the, uh, you know, binders that come up over the shoulders. Uh, wrap around the waist. Uh, and so um, if folks find some type of comfort in that, then uh, absolutely. Okay. So when someone comes um, to their physician and they have the CT scan or whatever diagnostic um, is needed, what's kind of the first step in terms of determining um, if they need treatment and what that's going to be? Sure. So um, a lot goes into it. So I think part of it um, is you know how symptomatic is the patient? So uh, if the hernia is really limiting their quality of life, um, then I think the the discussion is going to you know lean toward uh, repairing it, uh, particularly if they've you know had any types of those uh, urgent symptoms that we talked about, where it's caused them pain uh, or you know God forbid they had a bowel obstruction or something like that. Then pretty quickly, it's not, for the for the majority of those cases, uh, we're going to start talking about. Uh, you know, whether or not it should be repaired and, and how, we, how we would repair it. <clears throat> um, 
I would say less commonly, but, but not too uncommon. We have patients who, like I said before, they're not really having that bad of symptoms. And if the imaging doesn't look concerning, then it's okay to watch and wait. We might follow them every three to six months just to monitor their progression. So, you know, once we start deciding whether or not we're going to do an operation, the next step is to decide if the patient's ready for an oper operation. Sometimes they need to be optimized before surgery, meaning weight loss, or you have to start stop smoking or get your diabetes under control. Um, and we will see folks regularly back in our office uh, until the patient is ready for, for their operation. Okay, so that operation, that hernia repair operation, how often is it an open surgery versus a laparoscopic surgery? Yep, that's a great question as well. So um, I think the first thing when I sit down with a patient, I, uh, I tell them that hernias come in all shapes and sizes. I think it can be very confusing for a patient who maybe their brother or, or their cousin or someone in their family or one of their friends had a hernia repaired and they had it done one way and they, they come to your office with a certain set of expectations. And it can be very confusing why one patient got this and the other patient uh, got something else. And I think that once you kind of lay out um, the kind of the landscape that, listen, these hernias can come in all shapes, sizes, and locations that uh, you start to understand why there's so many different repair choices. I think to put it the most simply is that smaller hernias are more likely to get repaired with small incisions laparoscopically or sometimes robotically. Uh, and larger hernias, uh, more often than not, will need larger operations, meaning a big up and down incision. Uh, I will say that the robot uh, technology has allowed us to fix larger hernias with small incisions, uh, and that's somewhere the field is evolving. So when someone finds out they need to have a surgery or procedure, it can be a little scary. So I'm curious to hear what does the um, the repair surgery, what is that like? What can they expect in terms of, you know, how long is it going to take? What does recovery look like? Sure. So for, for folks with small uh, hernias on their abdomen or hernia in the hernias in the groin, oftentimes these folks can go home the same day. We'll give them uh, a modest uh, weightlifting restriction for the first few weeks after surgery, and uh, we'll gradually counsel them uh, toward an increase in their activity as they recover. Um, for folks with larger hernias, um, if you get a larger hernia fixed with small incisions, uh, it may be a couple days in the hospital. And if you have a large hernia that's fixed with a big up and down incision, you're probably looking at somewhere like four to six days in the hospital, uh, and you'll be sore for a couple weeks. Um, as when, when it comes to returning to work, that can be very variable depending on what type of work someone does. But I think a safe uh, bet as far as returning to, you know, a moderately active job would be somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight weeks. And I want to ask about mesh, because this is something I've been hearing about in the news. When is that necessary to use? And are there risks or considerations associated with that? Sure. That's probably one of the most common questions we get in our office is about mesh. <clears throat> and I try to head it off a lot of times because uh, when, when you consent someone for an operation, particularly a hernia repair, uh, and you're going to use mesh, that mesh has to be in the consent. So you have to say, I'm going to fix your hernia with mesh. And I can see that immediately a lot of patients will have that look on their face of, uh-oh, uh, I just heard, you know, six commercials last night about talking about hernia mesh. <clears throat> now, uh, certainly uh, I can't speak to every different scenario, but what I, I can say is a few generic things. The nice, the reason we use mesh 
for the vast majority of hernia repairs is that it prevents your hernia from coming back or at least reduces the chance that your hernia will recur. So that's the good part about mesh. There are rare mesh complications. I think um, transvaginal mesh uh, has um, uh, a lot of complications associated uh, with mesh. And then there were certain types of mesh used for uh, abdominal hernia repair um, that um, for one instance, one had a plastic ring that was breaking and, and sticking into the intestine. And so once again, that caused um, a lot of alarm regarding abdominal mesh. What I can say uh, is this, that we fix a lot of hernias at a high volume and we use the type of mesh that in our opinion is the most likely to keep your hernia from coming back, but the least likely to cause a mesh related complication. Uh, so I, I can't say that mesh complications never happen, but they are rare. And the trade-off of that is that you will um, get a more durable repair and reduce the chance that you'll have to have another operation down the road. Okay, so I do wanna ask about that reoperation also. Um, I mean, obviously, is there's a chance that the hernia could come back, or um, are there certain people who are more likely to have a second hernia, or how does that work? Sure. So I think you know maybe we as surgeons, uh, general surgeons, maybe don't do a right a good job uh, describing uh, the risks of a hernia coming back. I think um, you know often what um, I've found is that hernias. Uh, are like a lot like other operations that have an expected lifespan. For instance, a hip replacement, a knee replacement, LASIK eye surgery. A lot of these uh, operations, they have an expected duration which they will work and eventually those results will start to wear off. Uh, hernia repair can be like that. Uh, certainly all surgeons would like to think that when they leave the operating room and they fixed a hernia, that it's gonna stay fixed forever. But the, the reality is, is that that's just not true. Um, and the recurrence rate can be widely variable depending on how big uh, the initial hernia was, how complex it was. So like I said, hernias come in all shapes and sizes. So the recurrence rate for a small hernia is gonna be a lot lower than the recurrence rate for a very large hernia. Um, and so um, there are certain risk factors that increase the chance that a hernia is gonna come back. Um, folks that are overweight, um, I think smokers are, uh, would have, be more likely to have a recurrence. Um, uh, poorly controlled diabetics, those types of things. And then I said, just the, the sheer size of the hernia itself um, will increase your chance of getting a recurrence down the road. So a lot of times, you know, if when, um, when we say that, you know, for instance, a patient uh, isn't yet optimized or ready for surgery, um, we're doing that to reduce the chance that they're going to get a recurrence down the road. So the idea of getting someone ready for a surgery the first time is to try to prevent the second operation. So when we're counseling folks towards weight loss and, and uh, smoking cessation and getting their diabetes under control, those are things we're trying to do to prevent the need for an operation, you know, maybe five or 10 years from now. Absolutely. Um, and would it be obvious to someone that this has happened if, you know, they have had the hernia come back, would it be similar symptoms or would it be a different experience and how would it be, would it be repaired in the same way or in a different way? Yeah, so folks that have had a hernia are actually very good at telling if they have another hernia. <laughs> what we found is that just uh, asking patients the question of do they feel a bulge 
or do they feel like their hernia has come back? That's actually a very reliable indicator uh, that their hernia has come back. And, and that will often trigger us to get a CT scan to confirm that. Uh, hernias become more complex every time. And so every time you get a recurrence, it's going to be more complicated uh, than the last one, or at least in the vast majority of cases. Um, and for instance, if you had a hernia repaired with small incisions the first time and it, and it comes back again, you may very well need a, a larger operation or an up and down incision um, for the next operation. Do you envision there being more treatment options in the future for hernias or any advances in hernia repair surgery? Yes, so <clears throat> kind of like I mentioned before, so large hernias uh, in, the, in the past or even now are often fixed through large incisions and smaller hernias are able to be fixed uh, through smaller incisions. Uh, I think that uh, the advancement of robotic technology has gradually allowed us to fix larger and larger hernias through smaller incisions. And so I think that that is certainly a major advancement. There is also, and this is kind of getting into the you know, uh, technical details that I'm not sure if patients be, would be interested in, but <clears throat> uh, a lot of surgeons uh, and patients find comfort in the idea of having their mesh placed between layers of muscle in the abdominal wall so that the, the mesh isn't, for instance, rubbing up against the intestine. Whether or not that's good or bad uh, or better, having mesh placed between the muscles of the abdominal wall um, is controversial. Um, but like I said, a lot of, of patients and surgeons find comfort in having the mesh placed between the muscle. And traditionally, that was something that needed to be done with larger incisions, up and down incisions. And robotic technology has allowed us to do put mesh between the muscles using the robot. And so I think that that certainly has been uh, something, uh, an advancement uh, in the last 10 years. And I think that that will become more and more common as we move forward. Okay. Well, this has been great. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to add or any kind of last minute takeaway you want to leave our listeners and viewers with? There okay. is another type of hernia uh, called a sports hernia. And um, what this is, is this is commonly a scenario where an athlete or just someone who's, who's active, maybe the weekend warrior uh, is doing something and they, they get a pain in their groin. And the thing that distinguishes this uh, from an inguinal hernia is that this person will often not feel a bulge or that sensation where you can push something back in. Uh, this uh, was given the name of sports hernia. It's also been called athletic pubalgia. And uh, the one thing I'll say about these are, are um, these folks may not actually have a hernia. It might be a torn muscle in the groin. Uh, and so I think that if I can give a word of advice uh, I would, if I was a patient who had pain in the groin, but did not feel a bulge, I would be very apprehensive about having a piece of mesh placed in my groin. I think a common clinical scenario that we see here um, is that folks will have pain in the groin, uh, be diagnosed with a sports hernia and have a piece of mesh put in. Months to years later, they continue to have pain. And um, it turns out the pain wasn't actually from a hernia, it was from a pulled muscle, but they now have kind of attributed that pain to the mesh and let the mesh taken out. It kind of leads this to this vicious cycle of operations of now the mesh is taken out. Maybe the pain goes away, maybe it doesn't. And so uh, I guess if I was gonna give one word of caution, it would be for folks that 
have pain, but don't really feel a bulge. Um, not that you, not that those folks never have hernias and not that they should never be fixed. But I, if I was a patient, I would just be a little apprehensive in that, in that specific scenario. Well, I think we covered everything. Thank you so much for being here today. And to our listeners, if you'd like to schedule an appointment with Cleveland Clinic's Comprehensive Hernia Center, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash hernia or call 216-444-6644. And to listen to more podcasts with our Cleveland Clinic experts, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts or subscribe wherever you're listening now. And for more health tips, news, and information, follow us at Cleveland Clinic on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.